iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Right. Hey, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store. So, how are you guys doing today? You doing all right? <laughs> promised I uh, promised I wouldn't pander too much, but uh, where are my muggles at, huh? Muggles? <laughs> really? That's all I got? Uh, try, try another one. Um, uh, I wrote this at Quidditch. Anybody? Quidditch? Yeah? There we go. All right, that one worked. Sweet. This is huge, guys. We're really excited for this. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for waiting, being so patient, being here. We're going to have a good time today. Are you ready to have a good time? Of course you are. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this afternoon's guest moderator, Tom Geyer, Senior Editor at Entertainment Weekly. Hello, thanks everyone. Um, this is uh, a magical day for uh, people at the Apple Store because we have with us practically the entire cast of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. And let me just take a moment to introduce them one by one. First off, Cormac McLaggen himself, Freddie Stroma. The delightfully Luna, Luna Lovegood, Ivana Lynch. The beloved Fred Weasley, James Phelps. Oliver Weasley himself. Excuse me, George Weasley himself, Oliver Phelps. The future Mrs. Harry Potter, Ginny Weasley, Bonnie Wright. The ordinarily colorfully maned Nymphadora Tonks, Natalia Tenna. The surprisingly clean-shaven today, Remus Lupin, David Thulis. The wickedly charming Narcissa Malfoy, Helen McCrory. I think the only person here who's played two different characters in the Harry Potter se uh, series, both Professor Flitwick and Griphook, Warwick Davis. Words fail me to introduce Hagrid himself, Robbie Coltrane. The producers of the Harry Potter season series, David Barron and David Heyman. And I have a surprise for everyone. These are the announced people, but we actually have an additional guest today. Sir Michael Gambon, Dumbledore himself. So thank you all for being here today. Um, let's get started, uh, actually, 
if I could start get started with the two Davids here, who uh, are the whole reason that we're here and the reason for this franchise at all. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the decision to split Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows into two movies? Um, I know it's it's more excitement for all of us, uh, more of our hard-paying dollars to go into into your pockets. But uh, um, can you tell me a little bit about that decision? Um, yeah, it was all about the dollars. No, no. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was that had absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, when the idea was initially mooted, uh, I was very much against it, David, too, because. We'd never done it before. We'd talked about doing it on the fourth film, but we didn't do it. And so I thought this is a terrible, terrible idea. But as we began to break down the, the, the book into a script form, it became really clear that uh, we couldn't do it justice in one film. So much is resolved in this book. It really is the end of the series. That were we to do it as one, it would, it, one, it would either have been five hours long or if we'd done it as two-and-a-half-hour film, as many of the films are, it would have made absolutely no sense at all. So really, to, to do justice to Joe's book and to bring the series to the conclusion that we wanted, we made, we made the, um, the choice to break it into two. And then having done so, um, Steve Clovis, a couple of weeks later, once we'd agreed on this, called me and said, you know, there's enough here, there's almost enough here for three. Um, but I think that may have been pushing it a little bit far. In fact, the uh, the dollars uh, part of the equation was something that we uh, really put us off splitting into two to start with because uh, we felt that everyone would just shake their heads and say, oh, they couldn't resist it. One more rush to the cash register. Uh, but there was just no way of doing it in, uh, in one film, as David says. But I, I mean, listen, the truth is, is that clearly for Warner Brothers, the studio, who have been... They've been fantastic. They really have been our partners. I mean, when it came to the decision not to do 3D on part one, um, clearly it would have been in their interest to continue and do it in 3D. But when we said that we couldn't do it right, they backed us. But there's no question that if financially it made no sense to split it into two, they wouldn't have done it. Um, clearly it makes sense financially. But I promise you that was not the, the reason or the imperative for doing so. Um, so let me ask uh, Robbie, as well as uh, Oliver, James, and Bonnie, you've been with the series from the beginning. How has it changed for you? How have these films changed and your approach to the material changed? Um, I, I, I haven't changed at all, sadly. <laughs> I'm still the old fart I always was. But there, uh, thank you. Um, the children have changed. Not, I mean, I think children, the, the, the young people, the young adults have completely changed, of course, because they were, they were about that size when we started. They were just literally children. They were tiny wee creatures in these enormous great sets and, and had to be quite carefully looked after, really, didn't they? They didn't have to need looking after now. Because now, you know, they were all talking about their, their toys when we first saw them. And now they're talking about, what's she driving these days, Rob? And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> things that rhyme with ravioli in the car park, you know what I'm saying? Um, so they've changed enormously. That, that was one of the great pleasures about it, and one of the ways that uh, it didn't become routine or boring over 10 years, because they changed all the time, and it was great fun. True, isn't it? No, but they changed, but in a way they didn't change. I think that's been really, I, th I think, one of the things where we've been really, really lucky. I mean, all the people here, um, Dan, Rupert, Emma, um, they are... Yes, they've changed. You know, Dan was interested in Worldwide Wrestling Federation to begin with. Um, now he's interested in women, girls, girls. 
Um, so, you know, things do change. But he's still, and they're all very much the same people they were when we met, humble, generous, and uh, really good people. Actually, for Rob, you said some of the techniques that we adopted to achieve your, um, your size as Hagrid yeah. have changed. We won't go into them because we don't want to give too much away, but technically it's become easier to achieve what we needed to achieve over the course of the films. Definitely, because it was, all, it was all these weird sort of mechanical tricks that people have been doing for years, <laughs> digging holes for people to walk down so that I looked eight foot six and so forth. But now it's all, it's all your, your CGI now. It's much, much easier. James? Uh, I think they've covered it all, really. I think the, yeah, the main thing that we've noticed change is just the technology from what was state-of-the-art 10 years ago is now obsolete. So, And being such a big thing like Harry Potter, like we get the, the cream of the the technology to work with, even the, the Seven Harry sequence, that was, I think that was one of the first times it had been done anywhere else. So um, to be part of that was really cool to do. Oliver, can you tell us a little bit about that scene in particular? Yeah, it took, um, I mean, I don't know how Dan was able to, to keep his, his mind really after doing it, like portraying all of us for uh, as long as, I think it was, there was a lot of takes what, what took place in that, but when we were doing it, we, don't, we didn't quite understand, I certainly didn't understand how it was all going to map in together and everything. But it, was, uh, it worked really well on set, and especially when you go back to years ago when we used to have, like we used to do the Quidditch sequences and they'd do certain computer elements and you'd have like about five dots on your face. And that would be the way they get it, whereas now it's almost like a, like a face paint almost. And with about, I think it's 21 cameras, they take different motions you have. So that was all, all really exciting stuff. David and, uh, and Nat, you are both in that scene. You're both members of the Order of the Phoenix. Um, tell me a little bit about the experience of, uh, of these films as well, because you haven't been in every single one of them, but uh, you've been a, certainly a very popular and active presence in them. Um, yeah, well, I, I think I, I was mainly in Prisoner of Azkaban, and um, ever since then, it's been, um, it's been very nice to get married to this young lady. For a start, which, which was a little unexpected because we were talking outside about how J.K. Rowling announced that Dumbledore was gay um, <laughs> at, at some point. But when Alfonso quit, <laughs> you know that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just, no, just reinforcing it, it. It was it was after we cast <laughs> Michael Gambon that she made that decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in, in fact, in the Prison of Azkaban, uh, Alfonso Cuaron in the rehearsals. Um, without J.K. Rowling's knowledge, told me that I was, in fact, gay. Uh, and so I'd been playing the part um, like, rather gaily for quite a long time. <laughs> Until then, uh, and then it turned out that I then indeed got married and, um, uh, uh, to Tonks, and um, I, I then changed my whole performance after that and uh, just, saw it, just saw it as a phase he went through. <laughs> early. Um, yeah, Nat? Yeah, it's nice being married to a werewolf. You know, I'm nice and hairy once a month, crazy. Um, uh, I was hoping for a big litter. I was hoping that in the sixth one, I'd, in the seventh, I'd get like a big pregnant belly and I'd get to run around on a broomstick, but that didn't happen. Um, yeah, it's nice being married to you. It's fun, isn't it? Thank you very much, yeah. yeah. So you're also about to be out in Game of Thrones. So do you feel that the Harry Potter experience has prepared you for the whole fanboy hysteria? Maybe, but she's a very different character. She's kind of like a weird, like, forest woman that thinks she can hear spirits and stuff with a Sheffield accent, which I don't know how I'm going to do that, but hopefully it's all right. <laughs> um, now, Bonnie, you've also been in the series from the beginning, um, and obviously your character has changed quite a bit as you have. Um, 
in this film, you have your first kiss with Harry Potter. I can imagine that must have been a somewhat strange experience, having known Daniel since you were very, very little. Yeah, it was actually in the previous one to this, the first kiss, but the second one happens in this one. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting, really, because obviously we all started when we were so young and so sort of... I think I was particularly kind of quite fearless about the whole thing. When you are quite young, you kind of just go for things and kind of see how they work out. But as you grow old and your character, my character did develop, which I'm you know, greatly thankful for, there is that pressure, I think, when you know, the, the hero of these stories now ends up with Ginny Weasley. It was quite a, I was quite worried that everyone would kind of dislike the character suddenly, but luckily that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, it's been an amazing journey, and it's just been amazing just watching everyone else sort of develop and sort of grow around you. So I imagine they're looking at that to me too. So Now, Ivana, you have actually quite a larger role in this episode. Was, what was that like for you? I mean, I imagine you had some preparation having read the books, but um, what, was it a surprise to you that, uh, that you have this kind of breakout moment here? Uh, you mean part one? Uh, well, I don't... I mean, it's not a huge part, but I think Luna's, uh, her presence is important to Harry because she's so calm and Harry's so nice. He, he always has this conflict inside him. And Luna just has none of that, you know? She's just so, she gets distracted by clouds and things. And um, it's, it's, it's nice. Um, and it relaxes. I think everyone feels that when they're with her. You just don't feel judged. You feel that, um, yeah, it's, it's I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Um. <laughs> Now, Freddie, you came to acting from a degree in neuroscience from the University College in London. Um, leaping into the Harry Potter world must have been quite a change. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Um, it's. It's different, definitely. Um, I'd been juggling my degree in acting, um, and then, of course, Harry Potter was a much bigger experience um, and pretty scary. I mean, I came into the production in the sixth film so these guys have been working for a while and it's you're kind of like the new kid at school and you're kind of worried how's it going to be everyone's it's a very close family and these guys were just great um i felt at home straight away from day one um they just had such a great time with these guys now helen mccrory as Nar narcissa malfoy you're also a relative newcomer to the ensemble um since so much of the focus seems to be on the good guys, the, the, the Order of the Phoenix, stepping into this role of Narcissa must be a little bit different for you. Because I'm a baddie. <laughs> I see, yeah. Well, on behalf of all the baddies in Harry Potter, it's, you know, it's just as much fun. Um, Is it more fun being a baddie? Uh, not in this one, <laughs> without giving away the ending, no. Um, but uh, it was quite nerve-wracking because obviously by the time I came into it, so many people had seen all the, the Malfoy family and you know, following my son and my husband and I didn't realize actually what an enormous phenomenon it was until I sat down and watched them and you go to those first premieres and it's like being with the Beatles. I mean, when you know, Dan arrives, it's, it's if you're standing in Times Square, at the top of Central Park, you start hearing the screams because he's just getting into the car, and then they get louder and louder and louder. And that's all very overwhelming, but that's just a sideline of it. Actually walking onto the set, the craftsmanship and the artistry that goes into making these films is really quite phenomenal. And I, uh, 
you know, we're obviously one of the reasons we're here as well is because of this exhibition that's going to be opening in, in Times Square. And it's a privilege to work with the people that are making these props, that paint the sets, that make the most extraordinary uh, costumes. So I think as an actress, when you arrive, that's the most overwhelming thing, is the craftsmanship that's going in all, you know, the, the actors walk on set, you're the last cherry on the cake. And um, so, yeah, so rather than goody or baddie, that, I think that's my predominant memory of, of, uh, of joining this band of people. Thank you. <laughs> now, Warwick Davis, you've played both Griphook and Flitwick. Um, how has your experience shifted? Because obviously the technology over the last 10 years has changed tremendously. So I can imagine, like some of the others, the technology of achieving your, the look of your characters has changed as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, before I answer that, I'd just like to say it's a pleasure to be here at the Apple Store. This is a great thrill for me. I love Apple products and everything anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, and if, uh, if Steve Jobs is listening, um, send, the, uh, send the truckload of goods to Warwick Davis Care of England, okay? So uh, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, to, to, to answer your question, it was shameless, wasn't it? I'm sorry about it. Uh, I know. back with the mic now. And me. Yeah. Well, and I just wonder, why did they sit me next to Robbie? Is it to make me look smaller, him look bigger? It's the whole scale thing going on here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, over the years, I mean, I've played yeah, several different characters in, in the Harry Potter series, and it's a huge honor to have been, been part of all of the films, um, in a small way, pardon the pun. Um, but, um, but yeah, the technology has been prosthetic makeup, really, for me. You know, I, I, I'm far too good looking for these movies, so they cover me in, in three and a half hours worth of glue and, glue and silicon rubber. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much been the same process for me throughout these films, you know. Um, uh, you know, obviously, digital technology has gone and, and moved things on, and uh, particularly on the last films, Deathly Hallows, you know, the, the, the presence of green screen was, was everywhere. Um, but the thing that, that struck me mostly about these films, really, you know, compared to films like Star Wars that I've worked on, was really the amount of, of stuff that they actually built for us to work on, the sets. For example, The Great Hall. It's one of my favorite sets, and, and you know, if you were ever able to visit that, uh, that set, you know, it, it started to feel like a real historical place. Throughout the years, you know, all of the different things that happened on the first movie, we had the great feasts in there, we've had funerals in there, the Yule Ball took place in there. Uh, and, you know, for me, it, did, it felt like a real historical place. And, and uh, as, as Helen was saying, you know, the, the kind of artistry and detail in everything was, was just tremendous. So, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you see as an audience on screen actually exists for us as the actors on set, and that makes it such a, a better acting experience. You know, you can really envisage yourself there and, and believe in what's going on. And uh, I'd also like to just kind of tip my hat to the makeup artists that, uh, that I worked with throughout the years, who are just the most brilliant people, and were able to kind of uh, facilitate me playing all of these different characters, because without them it wouldn't, wouldn't have been possible. In fact, for everyone who might be interested, in approximately 18 months' time, if you come to England, you can actually visit these sets yourselves uh, because Warner Brothers are developing a visitor attraction at Leeson Studios where the series was filmed, uh, which will include sets such as the Great Hall and Dumbledore's office uh, and other sort of treasured memories from the films and many other uh, artefacts that we use in terms of costumes and props. Uh, so there's something there for all of you if you care to come to England. Just a little, a little thing about the Great Hall that you mentioned. Uh, 
the, a lot of it is there. It is an amazing, amazing set. But if you look at the first film, um, you'll see a real lack of continuity. Because when we, when we began shooting, we didn't think about the effect that the, you know, those big flambos on the side that line the hall with the, with the flames coming out of them. We didn't think of the effect that they would have. So at the beginning, there's no charcoal on the walls. And then the more we filmed over the seven years, they've gotten darker and darker and darker. So in the first film, there's tremendous lack of continuity as you look through the scenes in the Great Hall because they weren't all shot in continuity, where you can see bits with a lot of black and bits with none at all, but not in any order. The other thing is, is you know, sets like that are really expensive. And Stuart Craig, who's our production designer, who really is a genius, um, really insisted that we have York stone on the floor. Now, York stone is really expensive. And however generous Warner Brothers are with their, you know, have been with us with their money, that, that was, you know, you still have to apportion it. And having York stone on the floor seemed like a ridiculous idea. So I, as producer, um, was very resistant to it, and I was completely wrong. Stuart said, you know, I, I was saying, you should paint it. Anyway, Stuart got his way. He had York stone. And as opposed to us having to repaint it after the second film and the third and the fourth, we've had York stone on the floor and all the, all, all, the, all the way through. And it was the best cost-saving we could possibly have had. But Stuart Craig, who's our production designer, is really an absolutely amazing, amazing talent. And Hogwarts is his conception. Well, the whole world is his conception. Yeah. Well, not this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Michael Gambon, you, uh, you joined the cast um, and became Dumbledore, uh, taking over the role for, for Richard Harris. Was that a daunting task to assume the mantle and... Well, no, not really. I, I knew Richard, but I wasn't... I was upset when he died. I didn't know I was going to get the part. And um, I, I just went in and put an Irish accent on because Richard was from Ireland. And uh, that's the way I did it. And the, the director, uh, Alfonso, said, what's that funny accent you've got? I said, it's Irish. <laughs> so I said, can I carry on? He said, yeah, go on. So, and my first action on the stage when I got on the set was to go up a flight of stairs to a, a picture on the wall. And so I ran up the stairs, and the costume department said, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't run up the stairs, because Richard wouldn't run up the stairs. But I ran, so I ran faster. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I was, uh, I, I was accused of being gay, and um, the, the next moment after that, they sacked me. They made me die, so... I, <laughs> <laughs> so I was gay and then killed. That's your resume. Yeah, that's my resume. <laughs> Um, so if I could ask each of you, what is your favorite scene from the series? Either a scene that you participated in or your just favorite scene overall? We'll start with you, Sir Michael. Oh, me. Yeah. Uh, my my I always like the scenes where I'm on the dais in, in the Great Hall and doing a long speech, which I never quite knew. So they put it on big boards at the end of the hall. I could read it off board. <laughs> but they're always quite long introductions to the, to, the, to the movie at the beginning. And I quite like that feeling of power standing there on a dais with 500 kids in front of you is really good. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to, uh, to, to think of individual scenes. I mean, I love this. I like the, um, the, hum the really human scenes, um, for me, more than the action. And um, I love the scene, for example, where Harry is flying the hippogriff over the lake, the sort of the release, that sense of freedom. 
I love um, the scene in the in in. Um, I, I love, gosh, there's so many. Um, I love the scene in the third film, which was actually born out of a lack of money again. Which was, um, it's the scene where the kids are are in the Gryffindor common room and they're eating the sweets and they're becoming animals. We didn't have the money to do visual effects, so Alfonso just had them acted out. And I just have memories of that. I love, um, I love the scene with Harry and Hermione dancing in the seven part one. Just sort of quieter, more intimate moments generally are the ones that I like best. Uh, as David said, there are so many uh, scenes to choose from. I think one of my enduring favorites is from the, the very first film, uh, with at the, near the beginning in Privet Drive with Richard Griffiths um, uh, and, and Dan uh, being inundated by the owl post, the letters inviting Harry to go to Hogwarts, where Richard Griffiths says, I love Sundays. Do you know why I love Sundays? Because <laughs> there's no post. <laughs> and then the room is engulfed uh, by letters. So I think that remains one of my, my favourite scenes of all. Um, my wife, my ex-wife, was reminding me the other day of going to see the first Potter. There's a lovely scene where Hagrid's little egg... Uh, hatches and the, and the, and the you know the, the the wee Norbert comes out and subsequently sets fire to Hagrid's beard and it's just, it was like just one of those really nice days you know what I mean anyway my wife my ex-wife she she goes to the movies with our daughter who must have been about three at the time she's sitting on her mum's knee and she's going oh look mummy daddy's beard's gone on fire <laughs> whereupon two people turn around with a very cynical Glaswegian face as if to say that bad woman she's convinced that child that Hagrid's <laughs> her father so her father's the, the father's obviously buggered off somewhere <laughs> I said that's that that's your dad and these women were going how could you so that, that that's what I'll always remember brilliant um I mean favorite scene anything with me in Really, um, I'd have to say um, I've got to say that, but uh, but there's there's so many amazing scenes. A particular favourite uh, would be from uh, Deathly Hallows Part One, the the tale of the three brothers. The the animation was just terrific. I mean, just so unique and so kind of um, it just took you in. I mean, it was it was just amazing that that sequence. Um, uh, shooting wise, I particularly enjoyed filming um, the scene from um, number four uh, during the Yule Ball, where uh, I was able to introduce the band there. We were headed by Jarvis Cocker. Uh, it was the most tremendous few days filming we had there. There were huge speakers under the stage, and literally the Great Hall was kind of vibrating with the, the, the sound, and uh, it was terrific. And I got to stage dive as well, which was, and I only suggested that as a joke to Michael Newell. I said, it wouldn't it be funny if, if I staged, stage dived, you know, during this? And he went, oh yeah, and we had a laugh. And then Monday he came back, he said, you know what you said on Friday, we're gonna do that. <laughs> I said, are you mad? And, uh, and so, so there it was, but it's tricky. If you've, have you, anyone here ever done any stage diving? I don't recommend it. I was, no, I was grabbed in places that I didn't even know I had places. It was most unpleasant, most unpleasant. Uh, mine's a kind of a cheat because mine, I can't really talk all about it because we, you haven't actually seen it yet. But um, the culmination of Harry looking at Voldemort and all of us being present in that scene that we did with all those extras, they were really there. The place was on fire. 
It was extraordinary, the silence and the concentration at 10 o'clock on a cold, frosty morning with that grey-blue light that we only have in rainy, rainy London town. And realising that for one of those people, he had waited literally all his life to say those lines and to finally stand up and to prove in his character that this character is a man fighting for what he believed was good was an extraordinary thing to witness. And we filmed it in real time. It really happened. And it was a privilege to be there. It was, it's electric. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I'd, I'd have to say what I like mainly is, is uh, when, when Harry Potter uh, becomes funny when it allows itself to be a comedy film against all the darkness. And therefore, anything with Julie Walters and Mark Williams always yeah. cracks me up. And in, in fact, filming with those two and just spending time on the sets with them has just always been incredible. Uh, but therefore, I think the funniest scene, I think, is in the Prisoner of Azkaban, the opening, the opening sequence of Prisoner of Azkaban, where the wicked ant is inflated. Um, and, and just the, the, way, the way that was done and, and the, 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 the acting involved and just the, the final shot of, um, of Harry's stepfather trying to grab her uh, and hanging onto her leg is something I can watch over and over again. And, um, and then, you know, and personally for me, I guess turning into a werewolf because you don't expect in your career to get to do that. Um, and it's just something I can put down on my obituary now. I got to turn into a werewolf and... Uh, it was very enjoyable. It was very uncomfortable, but very enjoyable. Um, I liked... I also loved the animation. That was amazing how that just came in. I wasn't expecting that at all. So I loved that. I loved the, the sorting hat in the first one, because I came into Harry Potter quite late and I hadn't seen any of the films, and when I started working, I watched all of them. And that image of the hat and what each house means, I loved. Uh, for me to do... Oh, I also liked the bit when you're in it, when you've, you've got that cupboard that things can come out of and they're your worst fear. Boggarts. Yeah, that's it. That is a contraption I loved. I said boggarts. Boggarts. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and me personally to do, I loved um, doing all the broomstick flying because you're in like this massive green room, really high up on this movable thing. Um, and there's like these two kind of sexy, strong guys blowing wind at you. Like, so it's like you're on a Harley or something, and they're pretending Harry Potter's a tennis ball. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I've probably got two. One's from very long way back, back on the second film, when I spent months and months lying um, in a puddle of water in the Chamber of Secrets, although it doesn't sound that glamorous. Um, it was probably really the turning point for my character in terms of its involvement with kind of Lord Voldemort and things. And then another scene you have yet to see um, is the final, final um, scene of this whole, um, um, everything to do with Harry Potter is the moment in which we kind of jump forward in time. It was just such a bizarre feeling because it was a complete cycle of a generation because the, the young girl who was playing Lily Potter was 10 and it was her first ever experience on a film set and I was her age when I started and in exactly the same set on platform nine and three quarters. So it was a very bizarre and surreal experience. Um, again, there's two for me. There's the first one was in uh, HP3 when uh, Fred and George give Harry the Marauder's Map, mainly because my granddad read the book before and he was saying that would be a cool scene. And uh, he, he became quite ill before we got to film it, but that always stuck in my mind, like, to do that. 
And uh, the other one would be in the Goblet of Fire when we have a bit of a fight with each other, which is quite good. Um, although I actually like kind of hurt Mike Newell in that whole sequence. I think he hurt his rib or something when we were filming it. Something like that. Um, you but that was... You broke, like, you you didn't broke the director's rib. Yeah. You broke the director's rib. actually broke him. <laughs> See, uh, basically, we were having a fight, and Mike said, right, who this wants to fight... why they have insurance. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. But he said, who wants to fight me? And like a fool, I went, oh, I will. And Mike's quite a big guy, and he just jumped on top of me. So I just went like that, and he rolled on something, what one of the crew had left there or something. And, uh, yeah, so that was... So you told everyone it was James, right? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right here. Mine would be the Weasley's joke shop in the sixth movie. Um, to, I mean, to film it was awesome because the set was really bright and just going back, like the, the detail that went into all the props was fantastic. It was, I really just wanted to show everyone the, everything that was there because it was like three stories high, huge. Um, there was like a big caricature of either Oliver or myself outside like about ten, three stories high with a, taking the hat off. And um, we had tailored suits for it, and we really did go to town on that one. It was, it was awesome, so uh, I'll say that one. Um, my one, my favorite is actually in uh, this one, part seven, part one. Um, I love the, the thing I think is best about the Harry Potter films is the way they create sort of the background atmosphere, the things that aren't even scripted, but um, they show you how the wizards like that they're normal people and they, they have conversations and stuff. And I think where that's best conveyed is um, at the wedding scene where you see, like Harry, he has his quest and he's trying to find out all these things about Dumbledore's past. But then you see in the background all these wizards dancing. And I don't know, I've never been to a wizard wedding, but it was pretty cool. And it was just, you know, the Weasleys dancing and the Lovegoods dancing and that's how they are. And it felt so natural. And um, yeah, that's my favorite, yeah. I'd have to say maybe playing Quidditch. Uh, in order to make it look natural, they uh, got a bunch of balls and just threw them at me, and I had to bat them away with my hands as, as they came. And uh, I managed to, I think, smash a light, then hit one down a fan, and then also one... Um, there is a, a man called Laurent, who is a beautifully camp French costume designer who is walking the other direction, and um, I batted a ball and it smacked him in the back of the head, which um, to this day I still laugh at, which was, which was pretty fun. Okay, we're, we're not going to throw the, um, it open to all of you to ask uh, some questions. Um, I think we're grabbing a couple microphones. So anyone, raise a hand and we will hand you a microphone. Right here in the front. Hi, I was wondering for any or all of you, but especially the students, if you're familiar with the college phenomenon that's recently been sweeping the world of Muggle Quidditch. Uh, because I'm here with a portion of the NYU Quidditch team. <laughs> and back here, around here. And we were wondering what position you would play. I think a question we have to ask you back is, because I've been very interested about this, is how on earth is it played? And um, yeah, we're interested in that because obviously there's the removal of flying. And I was wondering, is it actually quite a, I'm sorry, I'm turning the Q&A around on you, but is it quite violent? Because Quidditch is quite a violent game. <laughs> yes, it's actually super intense. There are a few people brought back in ambulances from the World Cup this past November. Oh. Is it, is it on ice? And do you sing while you're doing it? Do you have to be drunk to play it? Uh, what's the matter? 
You have to smoke, smoke, smoke some Nigerian woodbines. Yes. No, but it probably helps. <laughs> um, this is another, yeah. Sure. Um, this is, well, I love Willow Warwick. I love you, Ivana, and all of you. This is for the Davids. Um, being the success that Potter has been as producers, I'm sure there have been times where you have had to turn down something and the flip side, times that have given you an opportunity to produce something or be involved in a project that you might not have been involved in. Can you think of an example of both cases? For, for, um, I mean, I, most certainly in terms of, in terms of not doing anything, really that's been more, for the most part, I cr uh, I'm not brought into films when they're ready to go. I develop them. So with Harry Potter, I read a book before it was published, fell in love with it, and then developed it, and it became a film. It's very rare that I'm brought in. I mean, we've, Michael, uh, um, David, and I have just worked on something written by a man called David Hare that came fully formed. Um, and, but that's very much the exception. Um, the opportunity that it's given me, uh, one of the things I'm most excited and the opportunity I think I'm most excited about that it's given me is I'm now making a film with a man called Alfonso Cuaron, who directed the third Harry Potter. And we're doing something called Gravity. And I am beyond excited to be working with him because I think he's one of the great directors working today. <laughs> Any parts in it, really? Yeah, yeah. There's a girl. We'll <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, likewise with David, though I have in the past, I uh, came up through a slightly different route of physical production, so I do often get asked to do things that are at a later stage of development. But I think once I got to my... I wasn't with David on the first film, but once I joined and um, I've worked on six of the eight, uh, once I got my feet under the table, people, I think, stopped asking me to do things anyway and, uh, because uh, they knew that we had a bit of a way to go and I was busy. And subsequently, one or two things have come my way that I might have uh, entertained had I not been busy, but I, too, am developing uh, projects of my own, which may or may not happen. Uh, and hopefully, having been involved with Harry Potter will make uh, the thought of them more attractive to people who might not have found them attractive in the past, but who knows? Next question. He's Next question. Hello, my name is Yahira Hernandez. Um, it's nice to meet all of you guys. Thanks for coming here. I was wondering if personally, if a sorting hat was here, what housing would you be placed and why? So if, or any of you, if you guys want to answer. Okay. Um, that's quite difficult. There is, which I'm sure will be part of the museum when we make it in London, but in Burbank, in LA, there's also a sorting hat, which is kind of, um, as you sit under it, it will tell you your um, house name, but... There were lots of visitors at the uh, museum, so I decided not to sit under it because I didn't want to know that I wasn't in Gryffindor. So if I could, you know, dream beer, it would be Gryffindor. But. We, James and I did the same thing when we were there, and although like, it was just about to go on my head, and he actually said, ah, another Weasley, eh? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was freaky, to say the least. Um, and then, well, I, it was weird, because I got sorted into Gryffindor, thankfully, um, but he had something else in mind for James. Um, I can't remember who. I'm a Ravenclaw, apparently. So, yeah. No, the funny thing is, they, yeah. when, when they start out, everyone wants to be in Gryffindor, but as they get a bit more adolescent and cool, they start thinking maybe it'd be quite cool to be Slytherin. When, when you were sorted into Ravenclaw, were you wearing the same top? I, I decided to adopt the top and the colours <laughs> of the house. We have a question to the back left. Next question. Um, so, good job on the films, props for that. But, um... You guys all get to play wizards or like magical creatures. So, what's your favorite part about that? 
I think it's a great thrill to have your, your wand. That's always very exciting. And, and what's great about the costumes that you wear, the, there is actually a wand pocket inside the costume. Uh, and so your wand can be stowed away safely. Uh, but that was, that's really exciting when you get to kind of do some of the, the spells that you read about in the, in the novels and, and uh, you see in the script that your character is able to, to perform that particular piece of magic. And, and it, it's, you know, some of it isn't just kind of you get it and do that with it. You know, some of it has been choreographed. You know, there's very particular ways that you could cast these spells. And, you know, I hope you all know your swish and flick, by the way, and have been practicing. Um, there will be a test later. Um, have so you all kept your wands? Well, it would be nice. We could drop hints now, but I'd, I'd love a wand. I have a wand from Willow at home in the framed box, which is lovely. Yeah, it would be lovely to have a Harry Potter wand, David, to go underneath <laughs> that. Uh, would be really nice. They're quite expensive. Are they? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Actually, the thing about the wands is um, when we started making the wands, um, Joe came, we, we'd done these quite elaborate wands, and then Joe came to visit the set. And it was the only thing that she, she walked around and she loved everything that we had been doing. You know, the the you know, um, Diagon Alley, the Great Hall, the Gryffindor Common Room, she absolutely loved it. But the one thing she had a comment on was the wands, which she said were more ornate than she had imagined. So we went back and all the wands were made much more simple. Um, oh, that's why but I thought you were just getting cheap on us. <laughs> <later on>. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I've been found out. No, but, but also everybody here has their own wand and each wand is different. And one of the things I love about Stuart Craig and the team, and it's sort of what you were talking about before, is that there's so much in, that you don't see that is made on the set. So much, for example, in the Gryffindor common room, there are class schedules, there's the clubs, there's notices on the notice board. There's so much detail that we can't see on the screen, but really helps make the world feel more organic and more real for the cast. And the wands and the individual nature of each wands makes it more personal. And I really think that in, an un, in, in, a, in, in, an, in a very concrete way, it's really affected the way the stories have come out and the way that they're told. Because it's, as you're saying, it's for all the blue green screen, for all that stuff, there is something very real that is there and that, may, that is very magical. I like picking my wand because it was, I had three wands and it was a bit like, you know, like when you start Hogwarts, I was like, oh, which one feels right? That was really fun. I also like the fact that kids, some kids believe you're actually a witch in real life. You know, they come behind their mum and they're like, go on, she wants you to sign it. So I sign it for them and I'm like, if you don't do your homework, you're going to turn into a frog. You won't get into Hogwarts. And the mum's like, yeah. <laughs> so I quite like that bit. <laughs> Uh, next question, uh, here in the center. Hi, my name is Grace Mosley, and I'm the film's number one fan. Uh, I wanted to know if you could portray another character in the Harry Potter films, which one would you want to be? George, maybe, for me. <laughs> <laughs> he just had to, didn't he? <laughs> for me, I think it'd be Professor Snape. I'd like to do that, yeah. definitely. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Bellatrix. I'd like Bellatrix. Yeah. I'd be a uh, uh, Luna Lovegood. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but I think I could do something with that. <laughs> I think the wig would suit you. <laughs> um, I'd, be, I'd be Bellatrix as well, I think. She's really cool. Yeah. Totally the opposite of Luna as well. <laughs> 
It would be an interesting question for the Davids. If you guys could have been in the films, what would you have liked to have played, perhaps? Um, I don't know. I'm a very shy and retiring person, and uh, I would get very embarrassed, I think. I've never been good at trying to perform in front of the cameras. So I, I guess someone like Bellatrix, actually, you can just go for it and uh, give it your all, and if you, I guess maybe I could cover up uh, a lack of quality with um, uh, an injection of enthusiasm uh, with a wild performance. Um, <clears throat> I think the, either one of the weird sisters <laughs> or, <laughs> or Lupin. I think, you know, Lupin is that uncle, that teacher that you always wished you'd had, and I'd love to... Maybe that's more to be him than to play him. Um, to have that, I wish I had those qualities. I'd like to have played Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> we'll remember if ever there's a remake. Uh, next question is over here to the right. Um, this the question for the Weasley brothers. Uh, how is it like uh, with the, all the fireworks and on your like just being like the coolest guys out there uh, <laughs> uh, just being like the craziest guys out there how was it like that like that it was uh, it was really cool to be able to uh, we, we were totally separate from that whole sequence really um, like we did our bit um, a couple of weeks after they filmed the whole bit in the great hall and everything with the fireworks but it was uh, it was really cool though like being able to with the fireworks sequence actually with the fireworks what were left over they put a big firework display on outside on bonfire night back in England which is cool but it was, uh, it was a really cool sequence to be part of. I, th I think what I enjoyed so much about playing Fred and obviously Oliver playing George is that we're allowed to joke around on set, whereas all the other guys have got to stay in character. And obviously we're acting at, yeah, at that point. But, um, the, I think it's the fact that like, we can't, like, we're able just to, to go for it and just have a, have a, a real good time and have a, have a joke, which is, uh, I think we just have so much fun playing them. Yeah, certainly. Uh, when you're acting, acting in a scene, what's going through your mind when you're doing that? What's my next line? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I look good in my costume? <laughs> Does this wig look real? Yeah. Hope my beard doesn't fall off. <laughs> my moustache used to move sometimes. You should put it back on again. Uh, just about, uh, am I being good? That's all. Main thing, in the back of your head, isn't it? And remembering your lines. One more question out there. Well, I have a question for Jenny Weasley of how you felt when you were acting out with Harry and you having your first kiss. Um, ooh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it was... Quite nerve-wracking, because obviously you've known each other for such a long time. But it did kind of... I think when you're friends with someone, it kind of helps that whole new romantic element to the, to the two characters. And we managed to have a laugh doing it. And, um, but it's quite surreal. And I think the weirdest thing is, is actually sitting with other people watching it or um, other people seeing it. But um, no, I really, really enjoyed the character of Ginny. She's kind of... She obviously started as a shy, younger sister of all the brothers. And she actually turns into a very kind of outgoing and sort of quite fearless girl. And I really... I kind of admire that in her. So it's good to, and I think for her, unlike most kind of 
relationships that are portrayed in film. It's usually the guy that has to go chase the girl, but I think Ginny uh, and Hermione pretty much have to step up because uh, the guys seem a bit lazy. So I think that's a good, I think that's a good thing for women. I think you should be confident, and if you like someone, go for it. But yeah. <laughs> So I just want to remind everyone that Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 will be on DVD and available for download on iTunes starting April 15th. I want to thank Freddie, Ivana, Fred, Oliver, Bonnie, Natalia, David, Helen, Warwick, Robbie, David, David, and Michael for being here today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much once again to all our guests. Guys, thank you for coming out. Uh, so awesome. That's amazing. I can't wait. A uh, quick reminder, pre-order Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 on iTunes, okay? Available for download April 15th. And you guys can get movies, apps, and so much more over at iTunes.com forward slash Harry Potter. Also, tonight, this entire event will be available for free as the Meet the Filmmaker podcast on the iTunes store. You can search for that. And, of course, Apple.com forward slash Soho. Coming up this week on the 5th, we have actor Eric Bana for his film, Hannah. That's Bana Hannah. I can't wait so I can say that out loud again. So that's apple.com forward slash Soho. And of course, guys, available for free on your iOS device. You can grab the app now, the Apple Store app. You can pick your favorite stores out. It'll actually tell you the nearest stores for you, what's going on, when it's happening. You can reserve workshops and service. It's amazing. It'll even check you in when you walk in the door. It's borderline alien technology. It's so cool. Guys, thank you so much again from here at the Apple Store. We appreciate it. We hope you guys had a wonderful time, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Take care now.